run. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways, uh, back from hiatus, like six months gone, and we're back uh, getting ready to dig into season four, episode one, and his image of the original Twilight Zone series. Uh, you know, my name's Paul, and so, and I'm joined by my new host, Terry, to my left, say hi to everybody, Terry. Greetings, everyone. Yeah. So, Terry, Terry's here, uh, and it's going to be great, um, but first, just, just got to get some housekeeping out of the way. Uh, so as you guys are familiar, uh, we've been going through this journey, uh, this, the strange highways, if you will, of the past three seasons of the original series of the twilight zone. I was joined by my co-host Kevin, um, due to th- things outside of the show. And that's what, what I'll say. I'll leave it there. Kevin can no longer be part of the show. Um, I love him like a brother. I, I want the best for him, but he cannot be part of the show any further. Uh, so if, if anybody wants to speak to me about that, you can certainly reach out to me directly. I do not feel that this podcast getting into Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone and um, potential men that are robots. Spoiler. I don't know if that's the right if this is the right venue. Just just know that we're going to go forward. Um I, you know, when I pitched this idea to him in his backyard when I was drunk many, many moons ago, uh, I was like, I would love to watch all the Twilight Zone in order and talk about it. He thought it was a great idea. We got through three seasons, and I'm still going to continue forward. And I'm, that's why I'm, I'm, I, I, um, I blackmailed Terry to come on the show. And I was just like, I know we're friends, but... I, you know, I know what you did in Cuba and he's like, fine, I'll be on the show. It's fine. You know, uh, <laughs> just, just some black site stuff. We can't talk about it. No. So that, that's that. So going forward, uh, with season four and whatever else we do after, which I would hope would be season five and then wherever the show goes from there, Terry will be with me. So everybody again, this is Terry. Uh, he's, he's a great guy and I've known him for, uh, quite a while. Um, you know, I, I can't remember the exact day cause there wasn't like an eclipse or something. There wasn't like a monumental event in which we meant, you know, like it wasn't like, you know, on the field of battle or something. I remember your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's been, it's been quite a while. I mean, I would say if I had to really peg it for years, you know, it'd probably be about six years at this point. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Cause, uh, like all my friends I met through my wife, <laughs> like yeah. pretty much. Yeah. The boo crew. The, uh, the boo <laughs> That yeah, I have admitted to Terry much later. That's what I called all her friends uh, when I first met her, because a lot of people would attend the Cinema Wasteland convention, which you know I've I've been going to as well. But I just felt like, oh, this is this is it. Like we're all gonna wear black and we're gonna hang out with hoodies, compare patches, compare patches, yeah. and we're gonna be the boot crew. <laughs> and so yes, that's how Terry and I know each other. Uh, so uh, I tell uh, just to tell everybody a little bit about yourself in terms of like your. You you love horror. You love. I think you love horror more than I do. Um, but so we do have a lot of kindred spirits in the sense of what we could talk about and what we enjoy. But tell everybody like your background and what brings you to this. Uh, my my main passion is horror. I mean, I do escape the genre every now and then. Sci fi, I love. Grew up with sci fi and horror. Like my entire youth was surrounded by those two genres. Uh, my family's really weird, and so we as a family would watch like the day the earth stood still together or you know the shining or 
you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. That was like that was my family. We would gather around a TV and watch horror films and like every Friday it would be, you know, Tales from the Crypt and that. Like I I cut my teeth on the genre itself and never let go of it. And you know, now I I'm part of the staff at Wasteland, great convention that we do over here in uh northern northeastern Ohio and uh it's a good time. Uh get to work with Paul every so often. And uh yeah, I just sat at the door for like four hours just so I could wander in and spend eighty dollars on Blu-rays. I shouldn't. Uh, that's what happens. It's a labor. <laughs> it's a labor of love in a sense. <laughs> <clears throat> but so when I approached you about coming on, the, you know, being part of the show, like you, you admitted to me that um, that you know the Twilight Zone. Like everybody knows the Twilight Zone, right? But you weren't as familiar with it. No, I mean it. It was it was on in the background for my family, like pretty much my entire childhood like i grew up with my grandparents so my grandfather loved old school tv he'd watch Gunsmoke all the time outer limits like he was all over the place he'd watch watch a lot of like true crime programs that's why i love that stuff now so i've always been surrounded by the twilight zone but i've had some some of the episodes i haven't seen in nearly 30 years yeah well like and i've as i've been discovering thinking that i'd seen a lot of the twilight zone I, I realized I had not seen as much as I thought I had right. by a long shot. So, yeah, I think it's something that informs a lot, right? Because, like, some of these twists, like, last season, like, uh, I know you had recently watched The Serve Man. Like, the ending of that has, like, peppered out through everything. Like, right. there's there's these big, iconic moments. And um, so it's one of those things that people are constantly aware of it, but they may not truly know it. You know, so uh, this will be exciting. So I'm glad that you have decided to come along to get through seasons four and five. Uh, and I'm sure we, you know, who knows what we'll end up getting into later. Uh, but it, this right now we're going to be getting back into uh, the original Twilight Zone. So with that being said, I guess before we set day and date, I, I guess I should just state that this is season four, uh, you know, episode one in his image. This is not available on Netflix. Season four is not on Netflix. Yeah, I noticed that. I don't. I, I, just it must be just part of a licensing thing. I know that there is some uh, Kyoga Productions is Sterling's production studio that did uh, Twilight Zone. I'm not sure if the rights were a little different with that versus season five. Um, however, season four is available on Hulu. Um, which if you guys have Disney plus you could bundle that for pretty cheap and get Hulu as well. Uh, I'm not here shilling, but Hey, everybody likes the baby Yoda. So go watch some twilight zone. You know, like I feel like it's a good, it's a good add on, you know, it's yeah, good value. It, it worked out for me because I, I have Hulu as well. So it just, I look, I, when I'm trying to find something, I won't stop. I will find some streaming media that has it. I have like six of them. I, I am all about the media content, especially during the winter time. Gives me lots to do. Yeah, and so also this is available on CBS All Access, which is the streaming service that CBS has launched. They also have the current Jordan Peele season of Twilight Zone on there too, which uh, we have talked about on our on you know the Patreon feed from last season. You know, it's it, if you guys are interested in that, there's ways to find that as well. But so there's two streaming services that have this available as part of like a monthly streaming service. Also, I found out. Uh, that you can rent these episodes individually on YouTube for like four bucks a piece. Yeah. That's not very cost effective versus paying monthly for a service, but Hey, whatever floats your boat. If that's what you want to do. Um, I paid that price because uh, here's my one thing I'll say right now that I am sad that we can't go to Netflix for this is that 
both um, Hulu and CBS uh, All Access and uh, YouTube, when you go hit pause and try to do a screen capture of anything, it turns to a black screen. Oh, that's not good. So I can't get like sweet screenshots like I mm. did for the first three seasons. So I I have found things. I'm not like they're fine. It's just I liked finding my own images. So, you know, I'm just going to shake my fist at whatever, whatever kept this away from Netflix. But and you could also find it on DVD. I'm sure I could probably go buy the DVD and then spend the money on the full se- series and be like, now I can make screen caps. Right. <laughs> yeah, like half price books probably yeah, has it or something. So. I'm sure. I'm sure there's, if there's like a DVD set of the season four, it's probably like six bucks somewhere. Yeah, but, I can't yeah. imagine it being too expensive. So, all right. With that being said, so you guys can find it and it's available. Uh, I guess I should set the stage for where season four, why it comes in the way it does. And then we'll talk more about day and date and get into cast and crew and all that. So, uh, so with what happened is when we left season three, uh, it, it was implied that the show wasn't going to be renewed. However, that's not entirely true. It was up in the air what CBS wanted to do. So, um, what happened was that, um, since Serling didn't know what was going on, he took a job teaching at, at a college in Ohio, his, um, producer Buck Houghton left because he wasn't sure what was going on. And so he took another job. And then there was other creatives that were kind of like in a holding pattern. So what was going on with CBS all the way back in season two was pushing for um, Twilight Zone to consider an hour long format. So that and so this has been something that's been discussion for a while. Serling and company pushed against it because they kept saying, you know, these stories are great, but if you go too long with them, they kind of fall apart. So they were kind of hesitant against the hour long format. So what happened was Serling was teaching the CBS decided that they're going to bring this back as an hour long, um, mid season replacement. So it came back like, uh, the, the last episode was, uh, June 1st, 62. This one comes back, uh, January 3rd, 63, which wouldn't that have been great if we actually started like recording, like matching the dates of the releases. That'd have been fun, but yeah, we're, yeah, that might've worked. We're pretty close though. Yeah. So the good, um, so, so yeah, it was like six months. Right. So in the meantime, what had happened was, um, per, per the original agreement, Sterling was required to write like 80% of the scripts for the first three seasons. It was exhausting him. This new deal, he only would have to write uh, like four out of the 13 that were originally ordered. But then if the order number went up, he would have to write more. All said and done, this became 18 episodes. And so he ended up writing six of them, I believe. So that you know that's good for him that he didn't have to like put out so much. The bad news is because he was working as a, as a professor in Ohio, uh, this production was going on in California. He was much more removed from the production of the show and he would never get the same type of control or input that he had as he did for the first three seasons. So even going into season five, when they go back to the half hour format, he is more involved, but not the same. So the, a lot of this is taken away from him. Uh, so that there's diff- that's a difference there. There was also a producer named uh, Herbert Hirschman, which this sounds like a name you make up for a TV show. Uh, he was brought in to be the new producer. This was not Sterling's first choice. Um, Terry, you might find this funny that his original first choice to be the producer was actually uh, Perry Lafferty. Yeah, 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 I see this. The, the guy who directed this episode we're about to talk mm-hmm. about, and because he felt like that he was more on the same page with him, like the relationship that Sterling had with Buck Houghton. Um, cause they were kind of like Buck was like, he would, he would see things through and also be sensible about the numbers, but he, he understood Sterling's vision. Uh, Hirschman, you get the idea that he kind of did, but also since he was a, like, he was a dabbler and kind of was like always kind of pushing, you could tell they butted heads, you yeah. know? And so Sterling eventually was writing to CBS be like, get this guy out of here. So Hirschman 
they eventually removed him at the end of the season. I'm sure we'll talk more about this when we get there, but he stayed on to finish the production because he also was a director. So one of the strengths was if they needed to do some reshoots or pickups, they didn't, they didn't have to bring in the original director. He could just guide people. So that's a plus, but his vision for the show and his tendencies were different than what Sterling liked. So we're going to like, we're going to find out what that means for this, this season going forward. Um, I do like that. Uh, he did write Sterling at one point and said, we, we are very busy here today, shooting scenes with Hitler on one stage, a spaceship on another, and a leopard on a third. <laughs> like, I like that. Like That sounds like the beginning of a joke. I, I know, but it's just like, he's just telling Sterling, things are going great. We got a Hitler, we got a UFO, and we got a leopard. Like It's like, all right, that, it's lunch. Let's Monday, let's just do it, right? <laughs> um, so Hirschman paints the relationship between the both of them as more as him pushing Sterling to do more, because he would say that if anybody brought him a script that wasn't Serling and it was like the, the, the quality of script Serling brought him. If it wasn't his, he'd be like, this is wonderful. But he's like, I knew he could do better. So he'd try to push Serling to do more. So he viewed it as like, you know, like, like taking this, this like, you know, artist and pushing him to do better. And Serling was like, he just doesn't get it. And so I don't know where the truth lies, but I'm going to, I'm going to side with Serling because he's always kind of had a focus vision for this. So what we need to learn from going forward is, Take it with a grain of salt that these this is stretching this this idea to a longer format. Um, your Sterling isn't as writing as many episodes. He doesn't have as much direct input, and he lost his producer that he had like a kinship with. And he's actually not on stage a lot to actually kind of see the like the overseeing of the episodes. Which the big difference here with that is <clears throat> um, that. With every episode going forward now through season four and five, I believe, anytime Sterling's on screen, it's cut to a gray screen of him just introducing the episode. Right. He's no longer walking into the episode, which was my favorite parts of season two and three, was where's Sterling going to show up? And now he doesn't. Like, he does, but he doesn't. Right. Because uh, he would just kind of shoot his wraparounds, like, real quick while he was in town. So, and it's a little different beast. Um, so, also, with that being said, they did a different intro. For the beginning of the show. Yeah, I noticed that it changed dramatically, actually. Yeah, and it's actually the one people associate the most with the Twilight Zone. This which, is the one I remember as a which child. Which is funny because people don't talk about season four, mm. but it gave you the most iconic intro with the opening of the door, the eyeball, the, the music. Little, the, the music um, uh, the, mu- the music had been there from previous season, but the way they brought it all together right. was like, this This becomes like, in the font, like the like that is the Twilight Zone. And then if you watch the Jordan Peele series, they use a lot of that imagery. You know, it's like, that is, you know, like, like I like the whole like E equals MC squared flying through. Like, you know, it's like, we're going to give you math, you know. Science. Ugh, you know, like, so, <laughs> uh, so there's a lot here that, you know, does stick to the Twilight Zone and does become part of it, but... Sterling is kind of kept at arm's length. So I just wanted to kind of lay that groundwork because we always talk about how much he has influence. And in this case, he doesn't have a lot. Um, a lot of like the, the cinematographer, the director of photography, I should say is, is brought back. They, he kept a lot of his same people cause he wanted that continuity. And that's why he kept telling CBS, make a decision cause we're going to lose everybody. So, and even some of these actors in this episode we're about to talk about are, they've come from previous episodes. So, I think that there was the best intent to try to keep the ship going, but you could tell he wasn't happy with the direction it was taking at times. I, I can imagine why he wouldn't be too happy about it either. I mean, it was his baby, and he had almost complete control of it for as long as he did, and the people that he had working underneath him weren't really a part of the picture anymore. Yeah, so that that is 
that's setting the stage, right? So now with that being said, so we went through, this is a weird episode for us to get to because we talk about all the stuff, then we talk about the stuff, and now we talk about more stuff. So now we're here. Finally, season four, episode one, In His Image, air date, January 3rd, 1963. Number one film at the time was Lawrence of Arabia. Never heard of it. Just kidding. (laughs) I think I I know it. Yeah, I mean, it's about some guy, and there's some sand. It never did anything. No, like <laughs> was his name Lawrence? Yeah, you know um, Lawrence of Arabica. No, it's, ah, uh, I love no, that place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number one song was Telstar by the Tornadoes. It's an instrumental. I'm sure if, if if you guys played it, you'd know it. Like it's a really cool instrumental, and it's rare to have an instrumental be a number one song. Like so, I thought that was awesome. Um, so normally I try to find something from the day the episode aired. The news of the day was dealing with like the beginnings of like the leading into Vietnam and kind of depressing. So since we're coming back after six months, I wanted to find something a little bit more, a little bit more upbeat. January 1st, Osamu Tezuka uh, premiered his uh, Tetsuwan Otomo Astro Boy. Oh, nice. Made its first serialized animations like on TV. So it was a popular manga at the time. This is the first time it actually showed up on television. So there you go. The Astro Boy came out a couple days before this episode aired. That's excellent, man. That's a really good bit, a bit of uh, knowledge from back then. Yeah. So I just, you know, uh, I, I'm not as big into manga as some people are. But again, Astro Boy is something that you just know, you know, so. Yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the staples when like you're when you're really getting into the old school stuff, man. Like I, I, I know Astro Boy very well. I used to watch the cartoon when I was younger. Yeah, so there you go. So there, that's you know that this happened kind of around this time. So, yep. all right. So uh, let's get into uh, like who did what here, and then we'll get into like the actual cast. But this was written. The episode was written by Charles Beaumont. Which, again, I know, I know, Terry, you are coming into a lot of this Twilight Zone kind of like you know um, a little little midway through. Charles Beaumont, aside from Sterling, wrote mo- like a, like if there's someone that wrote the second most episodes, it'd be Beaumont. Yeah, tw- so, 22 is what I got for yeah. notes. So, and his, his life is a little interesting because there was a bit where he started running some like health issues. So it becomes, you begin to wonder at one point if it's him having people help him. But this was based upon one of his short stories earlier. And Beaumont is wonderful in the sense that he always swings for the fences for the weird. And some of my favorite episodes of the series so far have been Beaumont episodes. So it was good to have a stalwart, uh, a stalwart um, writer of the Twilight Zone. Um, if you want to hear our, our wonderful talks about Mr. Beaumont and his stuff, you go back to uh, season two episodes, Howling Man, The Jungle, and Shadow Play. Those were all his, and they were wonderful. Uh, this episode was directed by Perry Lafferty, which we just mentioned that Sterling wanted to actually bring in as the producer. Uh, did you have any notes about Mr. Beaumont? This is his third episode. Like he had done uh, two prior. Well, Perry Lafferty, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I actually, I take okay. that this is his first episode, and he do, he does three in season four. Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. That's that. Hey, I'm usually the one that gets everything wrong, so I just I had to have my moment. Rookie um, move, man. <laughs> rookie move. No, because Lafferty directs the next episode that we're going to talk about, and then another one. I'm not sure, but yeah. So I'm not too familiar with him, um, but. He would be done directing in 1963, and they'd move on to producing full time, and that's where he like that's his big deal. So here, I have a, a little snippet about him. He was hired by CBS in '65 as the network's West Coast programming department, leaving in '76. So he was there quite a while. Hired by NBC in '79 as senior vice president of West Coast programming. I like that there's East Coast to West Coast programming. Like that's the way TV was back then. Right. Um, he was later assigned responsibility for network movies and miniseries. Because remember, those were a big deal like back in the day. Like if there was a network movie or a miniseries, like if it was the Thornbirds, forget about it. Or like V, you know, yeah. whatever. 
Uh, he developed and produced a 1985 made-for-television production of An Early Frost, uh, starring Aiden Quinn as a young man who must let his parents, played by Ben Gazzara, who was um, Jackie Treehorn and um, Big Lebowski, and oh, Gina nice. Routlins, uh, know that he was dying of AIDS. Uh, this critically acclaimed film won a Peabody Award and was one of the first network dramatic features to tackle like AIDS head on. So this op- started opening the conversation about that in the 80s. So good on this guy that he was actually able to produce this and get this in front of people. So, Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge issue from the 80s because yeah. a lot of people just wanted to hand wave it and think that it was just... And to have this on a made-for-TV movie on NBC, you right. know, like it's a big deal. Broader audience. Yeah. So he, Perry Lafferty didn't do a lot of directing, but he went on to do some other stuff. So this is worth worthy of mention. Uh, did you have any other notes about uh, Mr. Lafferty? He, he, he did a lot of TV stuff, yeah. man, like, uh, you know, uh, Star of the Family, uh, Aquanauts. Uh, he, he did a lot of producing work for, like, um, Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. our... So, I mean, it was just, he was more of a TV guy. Yeah. And it's just, you know, some people find like their niche being a producer and he did a lot. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him more. I'm sure in the next two up, the next two episodes he directs. Um, so we get into the actual cast here. We got, uh, George Grizzard as Alan Talbot, uh, and maybe somebody else mm. Mm, teasing that, uh, it, it, I, was, I was telling Terry before we started recording, I was like, this guy looked so familiar to me the entire time. And then once I looked at his credits, I had to kick myself as hard as I could because he was in my favorite episode of season one of The Twilight Zone, The Chaser. Mm-hmm. I love that episode. It's a delight. And I was like, that guy looks familiar. Oh, he was that that jerk that bought the love potion to get the girl to fall in love with him. And then that didn't go the way he wanted. It's a, it's a fun episode. Yeah, I have to I have to visit that one again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I know of it, but I just haven't had a chance to watch it more in the last, like, I don't know, three decades. <laughs> I mean, you know, there... There, there's color TV out there now that you can <laughs> say it isn't so. And, you know, there's the Witchers on Netflix. You got to get to that first. You know, the magic box, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we got uh, Gail Kobe as Jessica Conley. Uh, this is her second Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, she was in season one's episode of World of Difference. She it was a bit part in that episode. Like when I saw her in that episode, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, she has a much bigger role in this. Um, yeah, so that's I don't really have much for her there. If if you guys are interested, if we talked about her further, go back to the episode of World of Difference. I don't know if you have anything additional about her. Uh, not really. I mean, she was another like TV person, like just did a lot of shows. She did Gunsmoke. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of her big acting credits that I thought that was really kind of fun was uh, she was in the Ten Commandments as Pretty Slave Girl. <laughs> as opposed to Pretty Okay Slave Girl. Yeah. Mediocre Slave Girl. Mediocre. You know, eh. I wouldn't kick her out of bed, yeah, Slave Girl. Yeah, last call, Slave Girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's wrong. Oh. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, and that's the moment people stop listening to me. She, she did some producing work, too. Okay. So, yeah, so like she did some like uh, more TV work. But yeah, she and, was a producer as well. And, and we'll talk about her performance here. She actually has a good charisma. I think she's kind of given a weird thankless role at times but she has a good charm to her i, yeah, I, like I, her, yeah. I, I think she uh, balances out alan very well in this episode yeah so uh we got Catherine squire as the old woman that we saw at the beginning of the episode uh she was in season three episode one more pallbearer she was actually my favorite performance in the episode uh she played a teacher that was like you know able to like speak uh truth to the to the jerk running the the whole thing so i liked her there she was kind of weird and screechy here but we'll get to that when we get to that um she was uh, born in Defiance, Ohio, and oh. uh, started her career at the Cleveland Playhouse. Uh, Cleveland Playhouse. So I probably mentioned it back then, but got to got to represent. 
Um, she was in a Western from 1966 called Ride in the Whirlwind, which I watched as part of my year of the Western for Invasion of the Podcast, as recommended by by Kevin. I do not like that Western at all. So I just want to mention she was in it. Don't watch it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. How, like, I don't. It's just it's a boring goddamn Western. <laughs> These are hard facts here, man. Yeah, it's hard. That's my that's my hot take from well, 1966 right. from a movie. I think it was written by Jack Nicholson. And, he, and it's like it's not good. Like, I just don't like it. Well, yeah. he's, he's just putting it all out there, yeah, people, yeah. so don't even inquire about it. Yeah, there you go. So we got Wallace Rooney. I don't know if you have anything else about Catherine Squire. Uh, no, I mean, she's just another TV You're going to find a lot of that where it's like, TV oh, people. there's 300 TV credits. I don't recognize any of these shows, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, a, more notable that I saw, it, and a, a lot of these actors around this time, especially dealing with the Twilight Zone, they were working on, like, the Alfred Hitchcock Presents, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Um, that, that's kind of notable for our cast uh yeah we'll probably be visiting the Alfred Hitchcock stuff but um yeah so that's about it on her she and, didn't she wasn't in the episode very long so no 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 she has a very <laughs> sudden exit uh and and then like you'll also see too that there's a reoccurring theme of a show called uh Playhouse 90 that shows up which Serling was a part of oh okay so like you'll see with a lot of these actors they were part of Playhouse 90 at one point so it's like he you know maybe not now because of his the, the situation season four both these actors that have shown up previously he has some knowledge of them um so all right <clears throat> we got Wallace Rooney as man uh I think he was the guy in the house that yeah. was upset uh, that the house is being like you know like, this is my house you know yeah I, I didn't like his uh his name for IMDb just man so I yeah. had to elaborate more because he was the man from the house yeah, yeah he was the angry man from the house yeah. I had to take the time to go into the police car uh, he was the, <laughs> he, he was in um actually two other episodes of Twilight Zone he was in uh, season two uh, the Rip Van Winkle Caper um and then season three's Young Man Fancy um Young Man's Fancy I should say it's funny because it's like I didn't recall him like but just. It's one of those guys, right? Um, I, I honestly didn't even have any notes for him because he's played such a small role in this, that, and he was so irritating to me on screen that I just didn't want to write anything that's about fair, him either. But since he had he played it well, Twilight Zone, yeah, he, yeah, since he had tr- previous Twilight Zone stuff, I want to mention it. Yeah. He was also the Exorcist as Bishop Michael. Oh, okay, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah so figured to mention that. Uh, George Petrie is the driver, which I think is the guy that drove the car. That we'll talk about him in a second, right? Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. Have to say he was an episode of Night Court because you just got to mention Night Court when it shows up. <laughs> I uh, love Night Court. When I, when love, I, I love like why isn't that available on a streaming service? I it's well it, there's like some channel that you can get for free in this area and it's on like nonstop Great, laugh but, I think it's called. Yeah, so I want I want streaming and like the two shows I want streaming are Night Court and the Drew Carey show. Okay. Like, <laughs> why, like I don't know if, how you feel about Drew. I think the Drew Carey show is actually pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, it, it was fun. It was yeah. a good show. I, I'm like, more of a Nightcore fan. No, but, I, I you know, love out of the Nightcore. Two. Yeah, no. But yeah. If I had the choice, yes. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, of all the things that keep getting streamed and like people love, like, there's so much love for the Golden Girls. Rightfully so. Where's the Nightcore love? That's like, true. I love Nightcore. Oh, yeah. it was yeah. big for its time too. Very <laughs> like, big. I, and I love that Thirty Rock did a um, supposed ending to Nightcore. I don't know if you saw that episode. I where, no, uh, I did oh. not. They ended up like bringing back a couple actors from Night Court to nice. do the official ending. Like it's so dumb, it's great. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so uh, he was also in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, which I think is great because he's driving an automobile in this film, this episode. Uh, in an episode of uh, the 1980s Twilight Zone, so got to mention that. In Night Rider, he was also an episode of the Tales from the Dark Side. Nice. So this guy's all over, the, like all over the genre, and. Just a throwback for all you guys been listening to Strange Highways from the beginning in two episodes of Hawaiian Eye, which is this weird, like not even weird. It's it's a 
uh, private eye like police show that's from like the mid fifties that I we see all the time in these cast lists right. that we can't find anything about. Like there's like the the maybe the title like the title's on YouTube, but like there's nothing else about Hawaiian Eye out there. And like once we found a Amazon like listing for the series, but it was like way too much money. So we don't know what Hawaiian Eye is. But it's there all the time. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I, it sounds like somebody's trying to erase it. <laughs> it's like that. And there's another show that I was fascinated with called Johnny Midnight that shows up every so often, too. And I don't know what it is, but you just find it. So anytime that there's Hawaiian I or Johnny Midnight, I have to mention it. So, hmm. yeah. So I'm in, I'm educating Terry in the ridiculousness. Is this part of the drinking game where every the, time that we find every it? Time, every time I say anything, we just drink. That's how I, that's how I am. So All right. Good, good thing I brought another one. <laughs> But yeah, I just wanted to mention Hawaiian Eye. Just, that's the nice connective tissue between uh, uh, the old and the new. Uh, James Shea is the sheriff. Only t- Twilight Zone appearance, lots of TV work, had nothing else for him. Uh, Jamie Forrester is the hotel clerk, nothing of note. Um, Sherry Granado as the girl, so as the young girl that was um, two doors down, uh, right. you know, whatever. Uh, five credits, including this one, so not much work there. Uh, so I go through the list, and you're like, okay, we're going to run into like nothing here. This is this is great. Joseph Sargent plays the double for uh, Grizzard for um, George Grizzard, which we'll get to that when, when we get to the story. He had two Twilight Zone appearances. This is the second one. He directed a lot of films. He directed Jaws: The Revenge. Nice. And he also directed Not a good film, but that's yeah. that's an interesting credit. He directed 1983's uh, a film called Nightmares. It's an anthology oh, horror I film. Oh, I love that. Well, yeah, I've uh, never seen it. Yeah. Oh man, Emilio Estevez is in that. Is that the Bishop of Battle one? Uh, where he goes to the arcade yes okay. that's it oh then I have seen that's that. a great movie well we're going to cover it for the show right. it's well it's anthology. great in my opinion but well whatever I've, it's just the anthology film for the 80s it's horror yeah we're going yeah. to cover it oh I, w- I love anthology film and shows well that's what but... we because this is perfect venue for it so here we are we're going to cover the Bishop of Battle and yes. he was he was also in one episode of Star Trek the original series so I thought that was great that the, the body double was like they brought him in he was just like yeah he's like I was about the same size as the actor and it was great like, yeah. like this whole thing so yeah, that's your cast, that's your crew. So I don't know if you had any other notes about anybody no, else. No, really the most accomplished actor on this entire cast really was uh, James Say. Like, he had, like, 250 credits to him. Uh, like, 1957 for him was, like, crazy year. He was in so much crap. Yeah, you'll ridiculous. see, like, there, there's there's people, like, I forget, there was someone in an earlier season that had, like, 200-plus credits. Yeah. And I went through and counted them, and, like, over half of them was him playing a waiter. Oh, and it's like you find like these guys like made a living, but they just being played, the guy, being the guy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, yeah. He, he was in. I mean, like since uh, this is like a science fiction based storyline, um, I thought it was interesting that his credits actually are pretty steeped in uh, in uh, science fiction as well. I mean, he was in When Worlds Collide, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and uh, War of the Worlds. Amongst oh, all the, I kinds missed of all of that. So yeah. oh, okay, so good, good yeah. on you to you know mention that so yeah there you go that's perfect uh so that's your cast and crew so let's just uh we'll, we'll get to the surly intro and then we'll we'll get more into the episode on proper what you have just witnessed could be the end of a particularly terrifying nightmare it isn't it's the beginning although alan talbot doesn't know it he's about to enter a strange new world too incredible to be real too real to be a dream it's called the twilight zone I just feel like Sterling was like, I don't, what is this up? Sure. It's a nightmare. It's a waking nightmare. I, I can, are we done? Can I like, get me a cigarette? Yeah. Like get me an oasis cigarette. Um, I just, it, it, it like um, maybe 
because that was always a thing where it's like sometimes his intros would be overly long. You felt like he would be like a, almost trying to overcompensate for the episode. And in this one, it's like his intro is so vague. It's like, it's a waking nightmare. We'll find out. It's like, that doesn't tell us anything. Right. So, um, anyway, so let's, let's go back before the intro. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll <laughs> yeah, we'll go back to the mega happy ending. Uh, so this starts off, we get with Alan, he's leaving his hotel. He goes to the subway and he gets accosted by the old woman. And she's like ribbing him, like asking questions about his beliefs, his faith and whatever. Um, she just starts like, you know, bugging him. But, but before that happens, actually, I should mention, he's like waiting for the subway and like this series of like weird noises, screeches and static starts like affecting him. Yeah. Filling his mind. It doesn't seem to be in the outside world. It just seems to be bugging him. Yeah. But of course, he's he's there's no one around either. So I, I did like the effect of the light appearing on his face when it happened because at least then it kind of gave you a clue like this is affecting him and not whatever else and so when the woman shows up it's actually kind of a nice comedy beat because like she's just like to the right of him and the camera cuts to her just like talking to him it's like oh i would be scared of her too yeah especially with that dead animal wrapped around her neck (laughs) i don't know what the hell that was that did not look like it was clean clean killed you know clean humanity it was the cat that she could never let go of Uh, but uh no so that that music the the sound that weird static stuff reminded me um of we watched uh the first episode of the outer limits and it felt like that was a very stock like staticky noise but fine it's sci-fi but it's very disconcerting because it doesn't sound right you know and like you have like the snippets of voice you know whatever so she's approaching him asking about like he's like what was um she said um uh she's like Oh, are you sick? My husband looked like that before he died, all white and pasty, like saying that to him. And then uh, she's just like, like saying like he looks ill. And then she uh, starts trying to ask him about the Bible. Like she says something along the lines of like, do you read the book? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which one? She's like the good book. He's like, yeah, like yeah. I thought that she's just like that person, that crazy person with the Bible pamphlet. Yeah. Or, yeah. She she was actually. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like she hands him a pamphlet that says The Way to Salvation. I almost hope for a second it was one of those little black and white like comic books. You know what uh-huh. I'm talking about? Like the what they call the chick tracks or whatever. The guy yeah, we the, used to find those in uh, shipments at my old job. <laughs> I don't know who the hell was doing it, but it really pissed me off. Man. Well, the guy who was behind that died recently, like the past couple of years. So good. Somebody uh, found him. Yeah, but it was always like these like black and white, like, you know, like, oh, if only this guy wouldn't do the marijuanas, he would know Jesus or whatever, you know. Like, that's pretty much what it was. It's like, oh, Jimmy plays Nintendos. He's going to hell or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The way to salvation is to be a hermit. It's like, oh, they're chasing the hoop with the stick. That's not the way to Jesus. But, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, but she's like, you know, like going on about him. And then uh, and then as that's happening, the noises come back and he's just like overwhelmed. And he's looking at the pamphlet. And then as the train's coming. Uh, Terry, you know what? This is your first episode. You tell everybody what happens next. Well, it seems to like really upset him at this point because not only is he dealing with this lady who's like accosting him about the Bible and telling him that he looks like he's dying, but like he he starts to hear those noises again, and it gets to the point where now they pan away from him back to the lady who's going crazy, and then like when they they show him again, he's like covered in sweat, and it's like really really starting to get to him at this point, and. Yeah, I think the lady said a little too much at this point. I think he had enough of trying to persuade her to leave. So he ends up taking the lady and throwing her in front of the train. 
which is probably, as one does when somebody's accosted oh, by a Bible thumper. Yeah, you know, it's just um, it's like it is the most sudden, just like what? <laughs> like, yeah, didn't did not expect that one no, at all. I no. was like, oh, Rod, come on, dude, like chill yeah. out. And then and then Alan runs away as you do, uh, and then and then we get the Sterling intro, which this is just what I would hope. Like, I know it, it, it's not ever going to happen, but I want to play the game of, like, where do you think Serling would physically come in in the episode? <laughs> I want to play this game because I want to believe that had he been on set, where would he come from? Oh, the potted plant next. I, I believe that the train would pass by and he would climb up out from <laughs> the spaces With between... that dead animal around his neck. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, give the intro. I think that would be amazing. Or, or just him in the background reading a newspaper, he just lowers it for a second and then goes back to reading the newspaper. Right. But I would love it if he just walks up from, like, the bottom of the subway pit and just, like, starts giving the intro. But, yeah, so we get Alan running away. And then, so what happens at that point is that we cut to... Uh, we meet um, the other lead in the episode. We get Gail like getting ready in her apartment, and then there's a knock at the door, and it's it's Alan. He makes a joke about uh like the junior woodchucks or whatever, and then she lets him in, and like the chemistry between these two immediately is, is good. Yeah, I think that they the banter between the two of them just shows that there is something a little bit more than just people being on screen and playing a bit role. They actually have a pretty decent chemistry, I think. Absolutely. And um, did you notice how tiny her oven was in her apartment? Yeah, but that chicken fit very well. <laughs> it was a little chicken, she's but like, it made it, man. Like, I roasted a chicken. I'm like, and nothing else. Like this is like it was no like room for veggies the, here. It was the tiniest oven I've ever yeah. seen. It's like. Okay, I mean, I understand that there's the term efficiency apartment. I didn't know if it applied to the appliances, you know, like, but so she, she says, you're late. And he's like, what do you mean? And she's like telling him, like, you're like 45 minutes late. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not. I went to the subway and I came back. And then she's like, well, you must have stopped for like some quick short beers or whatever. But did you notice that like they're supposed to be meeting like five in the morning or something? Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like. Who's that up and ready and also has already roasted a chicken and also accusing, um, which we'll find out, your fiance uh, of having some short beers at like four in the morning? Yeah, what the hell place is opening at that point? I mean, it's New York, so there might have been places like already. That's like, true. You know, yeah, good point. But, good point. But yeah, I mean, if it was Cleveland, it's like, you got to wait a minute. You know, <laughs> like, but um, yeah, so uh, he was 45 minutes late. And then um, they're talking about like, like they're about to do something to go on this trip. And um, you find out. That they're engaged, but they've only met for like four days. Yeah. They've had the, the knowledge of each other for four days. Yeah. And she's like, well, I am a spinster well over 20 years old. And she says it's kind of a joke, but you also know she kind of means it. Like, like she's like, you know, you're my last good, last good chance to get out of this tiny apartment in my tiny oven. Like, just the small <laughs> In my tiny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of making small chickens. I want to make bigger ones. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, like I have a turkey on the mind, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but, but it's like, she is like, all right, it's like this whirlwind romance. And and he's like, well, how much do you, how well do you know me? And she's like, well, I know you make $600 a month. I'm like, ka-ching, you know, like that's a lot of money in 63. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it is, but... Uh, Possibly. Um, I mean, that's that's 63 money. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But she mentions like, you know, like he you know works. He's a scientist and like all and, and he's nice to animals. Uh, he hates old ladies and throws them in front of the subway. She doesn't mention that. Um, <laughs> and then so but like you get the notion that, like, oh, OK, well, he's going to take her back to his hometown and like upstate New York and they're going to meet his aunt and like kind of get her blessing and then they're going to get married soon. So. They, they leave. They go, they, they, you know, this is, you know, 
Um, but I just I want to say like Terry, you recently got married. So was it like two or three days before you got married to your now wife? Like you know. Oh, we've known each other less than that, man. <laughs> yeah, she came off the plane, and we, you know, that was it, man. You're like, actually, we were married before we saw each other. I just, you know, just figured, I just, that's all, that's, you know, that's Certificates all Certificates in the mail. Yeah. You know? That's I, true. I want bigger chickens as well, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's like, it's like, listen, uh, wife, I do not know. We will have the biggest oven. Right. She's like, you're mine. You know, like, okay, great. But anyway, so, all right, so they go. Uh, they, they go driving to his hometown and then on the way there, uh, he's asleep in the passenger seat of the vehicle. And then like, he has another one of these like fits, right? His nightmares are loud. Like they're just like, it's just static and him yelling and everything. And it's like, and she pulls off and she's like, Oh, you're having a nightmare. He's like, Oh, it's daytime. It's like, no, no, no. There was screeching and popping and you yelling about a guy named Walter. Like it was, uh. It's pretty sudden. I, you know, honestly, I, I need to ask the question. Why in the hell is she driving? She has obviously been up longer than Alan has. But he probably had three quick short ones, you know. <laughs> he just needs to sleep it off, man. And, and plus, it's like, yeah, you're it's like, in the question of like, he knows where his hometown is. Yeah, that would Wait, probably make Why is sense. she driving <laughs> to his hometown? I don't get it. And she's supposed to live in Manhattan. She has a car. Well, I mean, uh, who knows what the parking situation was, but that that's, you know, I like the idea that what we're about to talk about is ridiculous, but the biggest stretch of the imagination is that she has a car living in Manhattan. Yeah, I guess I, I'm just like really breaking it down to a, 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 an information that really shouldn't be analyzed at this point, but that stuff confuses me. But. It, it does. Yeah. So, uh, so when they pull like by off beside this, like little, like, like pond, he, He's talking to her. He's like, she's like, you said the name Walter. He's like, I don't know that name, you know. And she's like, well, evidently you did. He's like, I don't know a Walter. And so then he's like, do you want me to drive? And she's like, sure, just be careful. It's not paid off yet. I don't know what that means in terms of like, don't wreck it because I owe money. I'm upside down on this, you know. I am a spinster. I need that six hundred dollars. You yeah. make a month. Yeah. And then um, so he says uh, a changing of the guard when he goes to start driving. I want to mention that because that was literally the name of the last episode, season three. So I don't know if that was done as kind of a nod. Like deliberately. Like, oh, it is a changing of the guard because not only is the format changing, is the producer changing. I don't know if that was kind of meant to be like, things are going to be a little different or if it was just a piece of dialogue that happened to be there. But the way it was placed, I was like, it meant more to me just because of that. Yeah, I, while doing research about this episode, other people had pointed that out as well. I don't think, I think it was deliberate. I think that somebody, especially when we're talking about Twilight Zone, there's a lot of deliberate things that are happening. It's not by accident. So Yeah. Um, and there's a prop later that I'll mention, too, that I think is kind of deliberately placed. Um, so after that, he, he before he goes off, he mentions the pond. And then he also points off to uh, Lover, Lover's Lane or whatever it is, Lover's, Lover's Road. So I just got to ask you, Terry, do you remember sparking the ladies back in the day? Sparking the ladies. <laughs> Exact some kind of like because that's what he said. He's like, well, you know, back in the day, we'd be spark. He's like, I was, oh, okay. I, I was sparking the ladies. I was called. Uh, what was he? He's like, I was called something. He said something stupid, but she's like, oh, I was like, I've never heard the phrase sparking the ladies. Yeah, that literally sounds like you're setting them on fire. Yeah, yeah, that or you're like using a taser on them or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, this I, is how I get the ladies. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just, I just, I was quite the taser of ladies back in my day. <laughs> None of them stuck around, but you know, I'd find them again and tase them more. Um, you know, <laughs> last call, slave girl. No, uh, so oh, uh, so then, <laughs> full so, circle. Yeah. <laughs> so then they end up in town, 
And the, and so he's like giving all these like recollections about like, there's this place, the new Brunswick. And then there's this place and you can get groceries. And then there's, and he points, he's like, well, that's a new building. And, it, and they, they show this like modern looking building at the time. And he, um, he was like, like he's like, I was just gone a week. What right. happened? And then he kind of plays it off like these prefab buildings, whatever you know. Like credit to also the actor. He kind of like you know he has this kind of like quick, like quick wit that he delivers the lines. But you something's not right. You could see the worry in his eyes at this point because yeah. he is pointing out to all these places that he grew up being around and like how they have like these uh, amenities to him. And when he pans over to that building, you can see the concern in his eyes yeah. before he even says anything. Because to her, she wouldn't know that from anything, no. but he pauses and mentions it, you know? So then, so then she's anxious about meeting the aunt and she says, can we stop and get a quick one before she clarified? I'm like, what is she talking about? I like, was, I was actually kind of like, <laughs> like what? Like, like you go, girl. I, that sounds like something I'd say, but it's like, <laughs> someone wants a chicken in the oven. That's yeah. what I want to say there. No, but then pop that bird. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then this is like the second time in like a couple hours that she mentions drinking. She wants to stop and get a beer, but it's probably like what, like nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> again. It's like she's a woman after my own heart, no doubt. But I was like, whoa, you know, like Jessica, you know. Um, so he's like, well, no. her last name is Connolly, though. Yeah, that's well, that's true. And I'm drinking uh, Conway, which is close. It's an Irish enough it's name. It's Irish yeah, name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yes, but and then, I am Irish, people. Just so you know, I am not. So I, you know, um, <laughs> my wife, my wife bought us a, an ancestry uh, like dot com like kit, like the whole like. Oh, where you give them your spit. Yeah, where you give my we have we haven't spit on it yet, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, um, I'm like, do I want to know, like my background? Because I believe, like, I mean, I'm a fat white guy, so I'm pretty sure I'm from somewhere in Europe. Just going to throw that out there. But I, with my last name, I feel like there's, I think there's something like Germanic about my last name. Um, but it's like, I'm not that I'm going to be like just like destroyed, but I'm like, do I really want to know my past? Because it's like, I'm, there's probably some shit there I don't want to know about. Um, I'm going to find out I'm related to like terrible people and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. I've been the terrible. <laughs> yeah, I've been the terrible. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm going to find out I was related to uh, to um, uh, to Herbert Hirschman. No, that's mm. not, no. Anyway, uh, so w- we move on. He's like, well, I can't buy you a beer, but we can go to the New Brunswick. I can get you a cup of coffee. Goes into the New Brunswick, and he's like, oh, where's the cafe? And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it becomes this whole thing where from this point forward, there's like the next 10, 15 minutes is a cycle of loops of where Alan keeps running into things that he knows is there, but they're not, and they're different, right? So the guy there is like, oh, no, we've never had a diner, but there's a cigarette vending machine in there. I don't right. know if you noticed. It had like this mirror face to it. It looks identical to the one that the main character in the episode Walking Distance from season one looks at for a second before he walks back to his hometown and actually walks back in time to like what he remembered the town being. So I don't know if it was placed there on purpose to kind of have this callback of like, or it was just, that's just what cigarette machines were done back then. I don't know. Yeah. I, um, being, being the cigarette like age where yeah. like the promotion was so big. I think that that was just the, the norm probably. But since this also deals with themes of him saying, you know, this is how I remember. And everyone's like, that's not been like this. Mm-hmm. Like I just, it just, it just makes you wonder a little bit. Um, I'm probably reading too much into it. So then after that, um, <clears throat> as he's leaving, uh, she says to him, maybe you're just looking at things for the first time. Like on second viewing that rang a lot louder than the first time watching it. Um, 
<coughs> excuse me. I'm I also getting over the plague too. Which, you know, Likewise. Yeah. yeah. So it's getting us all right now. Yeah. So sorry for anybody out there who has to probably hear a little bit of rasp in either one of our voices. This isn't what we normally sound like. Yeah, I don't we normally sound. A lot sound less, I don't sound the sexy. Yeah, normally. we yeah. we sound a little bit more feminine than us. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We sound like the chipmunks, actually, is normally what we sound like. Uh, so then, at that point, um, they go to his aunt's house to, like, you know, be like, okay, you know, like, let's go meet the aunt. And then he goes knock on the door, and he knocks like seven times because, like, he's like, my aunt's hard of hearing, and that's where we meet the man, the uh, man, the man, man. Um, and he's angry. He's like, why are you knocking on my door? He's like, my aunt lives here. He's like, no, no, she doesn't. I've been here for like nine years. Or yeah, whatever. he doesn't look like a Mildred. You yeah, know that. yeah. <laughs> and so then. Uh, he's like, okay, fine. You know, this is upsetting, but I'm going to go next door to the neighbor and like call the police. And he goes over to the neighbor's house and he's asking questions. There's a girl on the front lawn and she's like, oh, well, she died a long time ago. And he's like, I had lunch with her last week. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the person that he was looking for specifically, the girl informs him that has been dead for three years. Yeah. So then at that point, we, we then go to look at where his university was. Which is my favorite shot in the whole episode. Yeah. Because it's like this empty like distance of like this hillside with nothing on it. And he's like, oh, well, can't you see the parking lot and the building I work in? I know he's just being facetious telling her about this stuff. Right. But it's like, even if that was like something that was here and no longer there, there's no evidence that was ever there to begin right. with. So I love it. He's like, I work here on this hill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and, and where this fenced in lot is, that's where I work. Yeah, I'm not homeless. You're homeless. Um, so six hundred dollars a week, baby. It's all <laughs> <Yeah>. yours. <laughs> so, um, so then at that point, uh, he goes to try to find records at the police station. Mom. There's no no records of him going to high school or college. He then decides to go to the cemetery to try to find his parents. There aren't there, and that's when the man. I, I like that the man was so upset that someone knocked on his door asking about. Like he was the, pretty pissed off. Man. It's like it if was... someone comes to me and be like, "I'm looking for my aunt," like she doesn't live here. The person would go away. I'm like that was weird. I wouldn't call the cops. And be like. We need to, what's going on with that guy? Yeah, that like, really threw me off about this, too. Like, he's just like, he's playing Starsky and Hutch with this cop. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, there they are there. They've traced him all the way to the cemetery. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just funny because he's like, well, as long as he means it, I'm not going to like do it. It's like, you, you're not, how can he press charges? He just knocked on your door and it was a case of mistaken identity. Yeah, he's like, you know? oh, don't you come on back my way, fella. Yeah, yeah it's just like, it was in New York State. If you knock on the wrong door, you can get arrested. I don't know what that like back then. Who knows? Uh, no so, accidents. Yeah. So then, um, so while he's trying to find his parents, he doesn't find his parents' tombstones. But then the sheriff uh, talks to him for a second. He and so Alan was like, "Well, who is who is like you know what happened to this other sheriff?" And he was like, "Oh, he was the guy that was here before me." And he was like, "Well, he was my godfather." And so you know that Alan has a connection to this town because he named somebody that the sheriff recognized. And then you end up seeing a tombstone that says Walter, Walter Ryder. And so you start to piece together, well, maybe this is the guy he's been yelling about in his dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like this spot that he goes to specifically is supposed to be his family plot. Yeah. So it's very concerning in the fact that he goes to a specific area and then he names off a guy in his dreams where there's the tombstone of the guy now. Yeah. That's Walter Ryder. Yeah. So then... Uh, at that point, you know, everything's like, well, something's not right. So they try to leave town to go back to Manhattan to go have a tiny chicken. And that's um, and that's whenever he is overcome again with, like, the noises and the sounds. And he asks uh, Jess to stop the vehicle. And she's like, are you going to get sick? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're being accosted with noises in your head. Just say whatever. Get out of the car. I don't blame you. And he runs off to the woods and he picks up a rock. 
and he gets this notion of like, you know, I, I will also say I'm convinced by the actor's portrayal that like he's really trying to keep himself together from not like striking her. Right. But at the same time, he's trying to be like, no, 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 come closer. And it's like, that's generally like unnerving. Right. Um, and then the, there's the POV of her because he's telling her to run away. And then he's like, come back. And there's a POV shot of her running to the car that works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like like the sequence is kind of weird, but it's it's disconcerting in a good way like it right works. and it, it seems that there is something that alan is battling at this point it's like he's not only hearing the noises now he's hearing some voice this is like kill me kill yeah. me kill me yeah right um and then something about put down the scissors or whatever it says something to that effect which they mentioned scissors in his voices at some point i don't know right but so then he um <clears throat> scares her away she she drives away and then um and I wrote, thank God she wasn't a crazy old lady or she'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's just they didn't like, bring up the good book, so she was all right. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank God she wasn't a crazy old lady and there was no trains nearby. So then he wanders back out the road. He gets hit by a car immediately. Right. Like, not even hit that well, but like enough. Like, right. I, I drive around Cleveland. I've been close enough to people with like just do it. There's the Cleveland walk. You know what I'm talking about where it's like, it doesn't matter what the light is or what's going on. People just have that walk where they just cruise at a certain speed. Right. No matter what I've, I've almost hit people. So I can understand why this guy probably clipped this dude in the middle of the night, you know? So well, yeah, especially that it's like a dimly lit, like a uh, park that he's going through yeah. and, what the hell is he doing on the side of the road anyways, you know? Like, yeah. That's not an area that would have, like, benches or anything like that. He's just there. Yeah. So once he gets hit by the car, the guy comes out. He's like, are you okay? And then you see Alan hold his arm, and, and then he looks down in horror at what he sees. Right. He and- had injured himself in some fashion to the point where he's cut open his flesh now. And what you see inside is... Uh, <laughs> really shitty springs that are breaking as they move. But he has a Luke Skywalker robot arm is what it looks like. Yeah, essentially. That's yeah. it. And it's 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 not bad. I've seen better right. in the show. Um, it, I think of, um, there's an episode from the first season really early on called The Lonely, whenever uh, a woman who's an automaton gets smacked in the face and the robotic like workers in her face are very better and they're very disturbing but Mm -hmm. in this it's just like you just see like like a single spring moving back and it just breaks i'm like oh like like, you know but he something about him is mechanical and not right right and that's your commercial break um so and this at this point i should mention that this episode's already played longer than like in a typical episode of twilight zone like when they get to driving to this like to the town it's like 21 minutes in and it's like by at that point you'd be getting to like the falling action of most episodes so it's like okay where are we going next and it's like i already feel like this is an interesting story element that's being brought in but we're not even like halfway through the episode yet there's a lot to go through right um so it was it was it was tough I, th- I figured I, I I thought the pacing up to this point to explain the situations was actually pretty good, too. So I'm glad that they kept the pacing at the way that it was, yeah. because it seemed to have made sense to have it the way it was. That's fair. I just feel like Build the, the drama, the really, repeating for Alan. Of knowing over and over again that things aren't right with the town felt like a bit much. But again, hindsight. Right. So. Um, so yeah, the, so then we get to him being dropped off at the hotel where he's at and I like that the driver's worried about him, but it's like, you get the notion of like, 
you're not going to sue me, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no it shit. really seems that way, especially when Alan says, like, hey, man, I signed a form of absolving you of any of the problems he's here. He's like, yeah, but why were you walking around out there? And he's like, I don't, like, like, I don't owe you an explanation. Like, yeah. I may or may not have been trying to kill a woman because the voices in my head. Whatever, you know. None of your concern. Yeah, yeah. What is this, America? <laughs> he's trying to zap some girls out there. Yeah, I was going to spark the ladies. Like, yeah, you don't that, know. There we go. Spark the ladies. Yeah, I was going to spark the ladies and throw an old woman in front of a tray. You don't know my life. Uh, so then he goes back to the hotel. He looks at his uh, robot hand again. And then he goes to like set fire to see if he can burn himself. Right. And it doesn't. He doesn't burn. And that's creepy. But then the phone like rings immediately. It's just... And she's been calling every 15 minutes, which sounds like like psychotic, but it's 1963, and he's in a hotel room, and there's no answering machine, so what else are you going to do? Well, especially in the, the way that he had left her, it seemed like he was like really frantic and trying to get her away from him. And so. they were engaged after only knowing each other for five days, yeah. so I like that this doesn't break the engagement for her. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would be kind of concerned in just going to the guy's town, and he doesn't know anything about anything that he was trying to explain to her. He's like, like, oh, this, none is, of these this is all different, and now I want to smash you with a rock. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Like, like <laughs> I want to make tiny chickens for the rest of our lives. I want to make tiny chickens. May we make tiny chickens for the rest of our lives. So, um, but again, I feel like, um, I wrote here, I was like, I wrote my notes. I feel like if the guy you're going to marry just after five days stopped himself from killing you, you may want to allow more time in the relationship to get to know each other, like seven to eight days before getting married. Yeah, didn't even know about the robotic arm or anything. No. Um, so then he's like, no, 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 you know, like, it's it's fine. I'm, I'm okay. Like, we'll meet in the morning after three short beers and a quick one, whatever. And then <laughs> I like that he goes to the phone book to find Walter Ryder. Like, like, it makes sense for the story, but it doesn't make sense in reality of like, so you saw a tombstone, you're going to look in the phone book, and you just think that there might be someone in the area with the same last name that's going to give you answers. Right, especially since you've seen a tombstone for the person it that... Was, well, it was Walter Ryder Sr., and yeah. then, then, so he finds Walter Ryder Jr. is who he actually finds in the phone book. So, whatever. Like I, It took me the second time watching it to realize that there was a, was senior, a senior at the end. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't notice that either. Yeah. So then he goes to the house of Walter Ryder Jr., and he goes to the front door, and it's open, which is a little weird. Um, cause I'm like, who leaves their front door kind of askew, like, especially knowing what we know later. Um, this is also a different time, man. It was like the sixties. Well, so yeah, we but didn't you don't have... leave the door open a crack. It's not like you just leave the door open and be like, Hey man, it's groovy. Just come on in. Whatever happens. <laughs> okay, you know? It's groovy. <laughs> it's groovy, man. It's like, it's 63 hairs growing longer, whatever, you know? Um, no. So there's actually a scene and the chaser, which I know you've not seen Terry, but there's a wonderful, like there's two shots in that episode that deal with the, the, this actor opening a door that feels very similar to this. And I was like, I hope that's a callback, but I know it's not, but it's, it, you know, so he goes into this place. He finds Walter Ryder jr. And in shadow, the guy's like, Oh, I'm, it's, I'm surprised you've, you finally showed up and all this stuff. So the guy's talking like he knows Alan. Right. And then when the light turns on, you find out that the Walter Ryder jr. Looks exactly like Alan, like dun, 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 you know? Um, and so there, this be, now becomes this back and forth between Walter and Alan, and it's split screen, and, and, and well, except for the times where you have the back of the head, which works really well. But I got to say, if there's anything I'm going to take for this, this episode that I liked a great deal, the split screen in this was seamless. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that as well. I mean, this kind of is reminiscent of a lot of things that are going on today 
and where they use like a green screen to do like you know nutty professor type stuff where it's like Eddie Murphy's portraying four roles and he's all in the same shot. I mean it's very clear that they're on the left and right side of the, like the the frame right. but you don't see any type of seam. Yeah. And even though it does the awkward thing of like have a seat and then the guy has to walk off to the seat to his right like I get it but it's like the the the, the split screen of this of, of him acting against himself is so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it, like, it, it, they did a really good job of portraying that they, he was supposed to be two different people. And credit to the actor too, George uh, Grizzard does a good job of portraying two different people. Right, because uh, you get the notion that Alan, as much as he's like, I got these crazy sounds in my head, and I have a robot arm, and I killed an old woman that we're not talking about now. Um, like he's a little bit more outgoing, and then Walter is more like, uh, not, he's more grizzled, and like like you get that he's more of a downer. Right. And but um, you know, uh, g- more more grizzled. So Gizzard Grizzard is grizzled anyway. Um, but you he does a good job of portraying both, and yeah. like that isn't always that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're acting against yourself, and you have a stand-in. Right, uh, and I I think that like the the position that the one character has to the other is just portrayed very well. In fact, it's like you can see all the stress that Alan is feeling. He's even still a little bit sweaty. He's got his hair is a little disheveled. Um, and then Walter is, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows the whole story and he's got a couple on him at this point. He's yeah, just like, three, let three, me explain three short things. Ones, or three quick ones <laughs> three, or whatever. Yeah. Three, um, three short ones. Yeah. But, but I like the notion that like he knows what's going on and he thinks he knows why Walter is there. But then it occurs to him that when Walter explains, like, it's almost like, yeah, he's like, oh, you went back to the hometown. He's like, yeah. And he's like, but he's like, but I found your name in a phone book. It's like, so Alan, sorry, Walter knows that Alan doesn't really know everything. He just knows enough. Yeah, he's you know? piecing parting it together. Yeah. So he's like, okay, fine. I'll, let me show you where you're born. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, just follow me. Commercial break. He's like, you were born eight days ago. And it's like, oh, so he's born eight days ago, but he met the girl three days later. And he's gonna get married. It's like, it's like, oh, well, that's a really quick life. Like he has like the life of like uh, like a. Uh, a Canadian soldier, like yeah. a, he's obviously charismatic enough to make somebody believe. Some and, of his and by other Canadian crap. soldier, I mean like there's the, the the Lake Erie bugs, the Mayfly, not muffleheads. But mm. I feel like he has the lifespan of a mufflehead, where he's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's okay. going on. I'm getting married. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's those bugs that live like a week, like that just harass us in the summer, and they don't have mouth. Canadian parts. soldiers. Canadian soldiers. Yeah, have you, have, you've heard, have you heard that before, right? Yeah, they're called, yeah. They're called muffleheads too because oh, like okay. the fuzzy bits on top of their head. Hmm. I did not know that. Part. Yeah. Um, Science. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I, I just worked four summers at Cedar Point and the Muffleheads when they come in would like black out the lights there. And I know like Port Clinton, Ohio, which is a, like a town on the North Coast, will have sometimes have to have like rolling blackouts at nighttime to keep the Muffleheads away. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Alan was a Mufflehead. Like he's like, I'm, a, I'm alive for eight days. Party, party, party. Yeah. I'm getting married, you know. So anyway, um, neither here nor there. Um, so I like the line whenever, um, like whenever Walter says to Alan, he's like, you're nobody at all. Like, that's an interesting line. And you find out that he, as a kid, uh, had a lifelong dream of making a perfect artificial man. And there's a thing where he says, he's like, but unlike most kids, I grew up, but I still stayed a kid. It's like, that just shows you like the mentality of that time where like, once you grow up, you don't 
think about the things you like you it, to have any anything from being a kid you can't take with you you're supposed to be a grown up right and he's like he, but he's a genius and like he still always thought about making a perfect artificial man and i like that um he said that like oh well money wasn't a problem i just made a better calculator i'm like what did you do to improve a calculator to make money like but right and he get he reaped in all the profits yeah, man yeah he's like i made an improved calculator i'm like did you add I don't know that function key that I never use. I don't know memory clear. I don't know what you did, but whatever. He made his money so he can make the artificial man. And I like. The, I will give this episode credit too that he didn't come up with all the stuff himself. He actually pieced it out to other people, which made me think a lot of the fly, the eighty six fly. Whenever Gina Davis asks, asks uh, Jeff Goldblum like, "Well, how'd you do this?" He's like, "Oh, it was compartmentalized. I farmed out a lot of this." He's like, "I had the ideas, but I couldn't build it." Right. So it, it, it seems it, more feasible, feasible that way because he said like the days of the like the the standalone inventor are over. Like, right. I, like that felt real. It, it did. I mean, especially for that time period. Like you know, the the he was he's exactly right. The the standalone inventor wasn't really a thing anymore at that point. Like, and especially it's something being undertaken like that where you're creating life essentially. It, it's a, it's a nice hand wave to be like you didn't make this all yourself. Right. You know? And I, I liked it. It was a good like acknowledgement of it. Right. Right. But before that though, he takes him into the basement and he shows him the wall with the Pac Man lights and he was like, "Look at this," because <laughs> they were like they were Pac Man yeah, lights. I, know, you know? I agree like, with you. I, I thought yeah. the exact same thing. And they're from like I think. They're from like this island Earth or something. Like they've shown up before on, on uh, the series. It was Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. They yeah. also showed up in um oh shoot. Uh there was another episode that dealt with like time travel that you saw those same shapes in the background. Because mm. there's a lot of Forbidden Planet like props that show up because why not? What you know? are they doing with this yeah. stuff, really? Um so I like that he opens up like basically like the opening to like a chimney because it looks like it's like a furnace. Yeah. But somehow that and then clicking switches causes all the static to happen. And it's like, I don't understand the science. But then as he keeps turning on switches, like Alan's like losing his mind. Yeah, it looks like, like his dome's about to split yeah. open. But it's like, so then it makes me wonder, I'm like, after Alan left, did did um Walter just turn on switches randomly? Just to just, just to, to mess, mess with them? Yeah. <laughs> like, just like, just, check this out. It's just like, look oh. at this, look at this. He's fine. Now he's going to go nuts. Like, it's like putting a laser pointer out the cat. Like I just, yeah, I was wondering if there was somebody like in the distance just watching his behavior, just like reporting back to Walter, be like, yeah, like, man, I his wish head there was looks a like it's going to break open, dude. I wish there was a scene of like a maid in the basement flipping switches by accident. Yeah. You just see like Alan just going nuts. And I would do that. <laughs> I, I'm that guy. I'm sadistic like that. Um, so yeah, uh, so um, you know we find out like, but then you also find out that like uh, Walter has made multiple like multiple iterations of this, and they were not perfect. Yeah, trial and error kind of stuff. And you see two bodies, and and, and like those, uh, you know they they looked they looked okay. Like the effects was pretty serviceable. Decent. Yeah, yeah. Serviceable. Um, and then uh, and then you find out that like um, Alan was close. But not quite, because there's even a point earlier where he was like when Walter's like, oh, look at the scar you gave me from stabbing me with scissors. It's like, well, OK, you're nonchalant about that, but whatever. Um, so then he basically said that, like, you're you know, you're supposed to be my idea of perfection, but it's it's like you're supposed to be more warm and more outgoing and not have like doubt. But he's like, but the, and then it's implied that, like, you know, Walter's like, but I sorry, Alan's like but I have these like impulses or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I have those too, but I have the wherewithal to not follow through with them. Right. And it's like, Oh, now we're going to acknowledge that you threw an old woman in front of a train. (laughs) Um, so he has no impulse control. 
Right. That's what we get to. So then, because he says to him, he's like, we're all potential murderers, Alan, which is an interesting line. It's, and I thought that was like a really like uh, scary concept to really put out there into the world. Just like, like he's, he's he, and how nonchalant he yeah, says that, it to That's him. what I was yeah. just going to say. It seems very nonchalant in the sense that it's like he's explaining this to a being that has had these impulses already, but it's like, it, it's such a real concept in, this, in the fact that it's like humans have urges sometimes that really we have the, the wherewithal to not. Or like the social like understanding, right. you know, like cause and I, effect. Not, not that I'm saying that like everybody walks around being like, I want to kill that person. But it's like, you get like, you know, it's just you, you, your day to day where there's times where it's like, Ugh, you know, but it's like, you would never act on it. But the notion that like he, you put, a, and you also find out that like, um, a Walter imprinted uh, Alan with like a lot of memories of his hometown. That explains the time shift. Right. That explains also why he thought he worked on a hillside because he made it up. Like right. you want to give. There's that notion too of like like Blade Runner. Like if you don't give somebody a past, they're going to know what they are and right. they'll like lose their mind. You know. So there's some interesting ideas in there. I, I think so too. Yeah. And, and and the fact that like that really is kind of eye-opening about this this whole segment here is that he is basically telling alan that he's a lot more human than he wanted him to be pretty much yeah yeah like like he's like there's a lot of luck that went into you and he's like but you're defective and it's like you know so what's his idea of perfection then you know but it's like you know but but like alan is still like but i'm me and i met a girl and he writes down the address and he's like her she's like we're gonna i'm supposed to meet her in the morning make a new one that doesn't have this like lack of impulse control. Right. He, he then it just because he's like, I'm a murderer and I'm right. going to kill her and like make a better one. He's like, and then, and then Walter's like, I can't do that. So then you get this, this moment, like when they fight in the lab and, uh, as the choreography is a little weird, the, the, the destruction of the lab is actually pretty elaborate. Right. And I, that fight scene was actually pretty interesting. Like for 1963 for television, it looked pretty good. Like the sparking and the destruction, I was not expecting that kind of like, like brutal destruction to go on. Like I was expecting maybe a back and forth and someone falling down, but a little no. tussle. No, but this lab gets messed up. Yeah, you know? yeah, they jacked the whole place up in trying to make a point to each other. I mean, like it I shows like Walter a- does like a neck chop to get rid right. of like to get rid of Alan. It's like it's like a, like a Will Shatner like neck chop. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I I I I think that. Uh, the part that really is kind of like more important about this is that Alan has this uh, this change in his in his being where it's like he said, "Well, you're going to do this, whether you like it or not." It's almost like a Frankenstein's monster yeah. in a realization, like, "Yeah, you made me flawed, but now you're going to rectify things from this point forward." And then Walter was like, "No," and it's like they, they so they had a fight, you right? Know? So, so then. Um, we don't really know what happens with the fight. And then the next thing you know, uh, Jess, who we don't know what time of morning it is. We don't know how many she's had. We don't know. Um, she answers the door, and the guy knocking the door looks like Alan, and he makes a similar joke about like the woodchuck scouts or whatever. Right. And then she lets him in, and he was like, well, let's just forget all that. It was a nightmare. We're together now. And then she's like, can I make you some eggs? He's like, sure. And then she says the very on-the-nose line of like, eggs are guaranteed to make a new man out of you. Which and I didn't know that because he ate a lot of eggs. And he right? had this really big grin on his face like, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. So then we we do like a cut back to the lab and we see um, what we find out is Alan, this is like in pieces, 
So right. we now know that Walter stood in for him and now can be happy. Right, and walks into this ready-made life that Alan has already planted the seed for. That sounds weird. Which is, but which is really dark. It really is. It because Jess is already kind of like, I don't know this guy that well. And now someone that looks exactly like the guy she thought she knew is coming in to swoop in. So it's like, and, I, I, I think I'm sure, know. I'm sure Beaumont probably applied all this because he's that kind of guy to go further. But I don't know if it was intended to show that kind of darkness. Like, like you and I could take something from it now, the way we read into it. I don't know if it was meant to be that way. It was probably meant to be like, oh, uh, Alan realized that he could never be. So this gives this gives Walter the ability to actually find love. Right. But it is dark and messed up. Especially when you really encapsulate everything at the very end of it. Like, yeah. you really think about what Alan was trying to achieve in not knowing who he was with the conversations with Walter. And Walter just basically saying, like, well, thanks for everything you did, man. And yep. walking into that lifestyle. Yeah. But just disregarding <laughs> everything that he created... Like it was just like a package deal for him. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, dark. Like so, um, we'll get to the twist. We'll get to some other stuff here at the end here. But like, I you know, this episode leaves me a little lukewarm. I think it's because of the, like the length and like the pacing. Like I know you talked about the pacing in the first half being like better, and I agree with you on that. It's just that I feel like there's much more meat on the bone for what's being left at the very end that. I don't know. I just, it gets all the way there and it gives this dark ending that it's like, even though Alan as a character realizes what he is, I just, the whole thing feels uneven throughout. And maybe it's just because I'm used to a lean and mean, like 26 minutes. Um, so this is me adjusting my expectations. Um, so talking to you about it, I am much more favorable about the episode. The first time I watched it, I'm like, Oh, that's where we're going. And it's fun in the sense of like, I didn't expect robot man, but it's like, it felt like they forgot about him throwing a woman in front of a train until like the third, like till like the last minute. Yeah. That was just like one of those things that just didn't really mesh well with the rest of the story. Well, cause they do, they do the callback of him whenever he's talking to, um, he, when he's talking to, uh, Walter and he pulls the pamphlet out of his pocket and it says, you know, like something about salvation. So it does tie back in, but it's like, there's never a point where he's like, oh, crap, I killed that woman. Like, it's always like, oh, yeah, what about her? I don't know. Whatever. You know? And then Jess gets so sidelined in the second half. Like, we don't really deal with her. Right. Like, I just, I mean, I feel like I feel like she was a more interesting character that you almost want her, you almost want her with him when he finds out the truth. Yeah, I think that probably would have flushed out things a little bit more and gave more gravity to everything. Because you, like, you mentioned Frankenstein, I, th- I think of the fly. Like you want that Gina Davis to witness what's going right. on, type of thing. Because now she's unwitting. Right. As much as she was like very willing to marry somebody after five days, she doesn't deserve the switcheroo. You know. So. And I understand that, but like the end sequence where she basically just has new Alan walk in through the door it kind of makes that all make a little bit more sense because she wasn't present for the moment, but it it, it brings a lot more coldness to Walter because here she, here she is unknowing about what the grim demise was of who she knew as Alan. And now here comes in new Alan to walk into the lifestyle. He even says to, he even says to uh, Alan, he's like, is she pretty? Yeah. Right. It's like, well, you like what? Like that's a, that's the first thing you go to. Yeah. You know, like 
Is she like a 2 a.m. slave girl? <laughs> like, just shut up, Walter. <laughs> like, 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 last call slave girl. Um, yeah. Uh, no. Uh, he's like, well, maybe. She was in the Ten Commandments, you know. She was. She's a pretty slave girl. <laughs> she's a pretty slave girl. It worked out for her. And yeah, she knows and, how to make small chickens. And, she, and, and, you know, and she knows eggs are guaranteed. Like, I don't know what size the eggs are then. If it's a small chicken, it's probably like those little tiny, you know, little, little Easter candy eggs that you get. Maybe it's those little tiny eggs. Uh-huh. I don't know. But... Like Robin's eggs. Robin's <laughs> like, egg, yeah. Like, I'll make you the world's smallest omelet. It'll make a man out of you. But I just, I, it, it's Charles Beaumont, which um, he has done some of my favorite episodes of the series. And I appreciate the weird. It's just, I do feel like this is something that was stretched a little too far in terms of like runtime. Yeah. And, and this was, I think they were against the, against the, the wire a little bit because the, with this being the first season, where they had to adapt stories into a longer, and, the, and this is actually one of the first showtime. ones that, whenever Sterling got the notion that this is what was going to happen, this is one of those ones that was prepped with the idea that this is what was going to happen. So even then, though, there, like I, I in the books that I've used as reference, there's been there's a couple different quotes of everybody, like not just Sterling but Richard Matheson. Other people are like, yeah, this this show doesn't really lend itself to that, like in terms of the format, which is funny because. The newest Jordan Peele produced um, season of The Twilight Zone, one of the biggest things they kept running into was like, these episodes feel a little too long. So it's like, now it's funny that like this is 60 years prior. It's like, don't give somebody 47 minutes when you could tell a story in 30. Because I feel like you cut some of the fat off. At least then there's more questions in a good way. And I, and I, I know we got. We got what seventeen more of these to go through the like this season. So I'm sure I'll keep. I'm sure I'll be a broken record. But there's some good bones here. I just feel like if you're spreading it out this far, like I feel like someone could have walked through with like 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 you know how people do like fan edits of things. There's probably a way to slice this up and like take ten minutes off of it and actually make it like feel like a better paced episode. I believe so. I mean, even the segment with the older lady that he throws in front of the train, like it gives more gravity to who he is and what he's going through, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessary. Like you could actually literally cut that off and have him meet her. And then on the way out, having the nightmare of him with the noises and be like, Oh, well something's not right with him. Right. Like you could have, you're right. That could, the whole thing could have been clipped out. Like, I mean, it's great to see him just throw a lady in front of a train. That's pretty pretty gruesome. But yeah, you're right. So, all right. So, um, do you have any other notes about the episode proper before I get into some of the like some of the trivia? No, I, I believe that's we covered everything pretty okay. much. So, original title for the short story that Beaumont wrote was called "The Man Who Made Himself," which would have like let the cat out of the bag. But then the the statement in his image, which is from the Bible, like that also sets it up right. Right. Uh, this was a story that Sterling wanted to use in the first season. But it was he wanted to do like a stripped down version. It just never happened. So the notion that they still use this feels like that was with his wishes. But it's still you know it is what it is. Um, again, we talked about this being the first episode that had like the weird door and eye and imagery that we know. So uh, and also the last name for Talbot, which be, some people speculate is used in reference to like the Wolfman. Because yeah yeah yeah, I guess, yeah. being like a monster unknown or mm-hmm. like whatever. So we don't know. Seems because because Beaumont changed the name of the character because he originally in the short story used a friend's uh, like a last name of a buddy of his and then changed it for the TV show. So maybe uh, he collects money for the Junior Woodchucks and, and, and which is a fictional Boy Scout organization created uh, and the Donald Duck comic series. Uh, 
Charles Beaumont actually wrote stories for um, the for the same firm that published Woodchuck stories. So he actually had some like familiarity with that as being an entity within the Donald Duck comics. So it's funny that he mentioned that. So I guess like callback. Yeah, a little bit. So yeah. So that's it for in his image. Uh, so Terry, this is your first episode of the twilight zone. So rate this in, in relation to all the other twilight zone episodes you've watched for the show. You'd probably say it's your best one. I, I definitely, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't consider it the the best out of this the whole series, but the one I've done, yeah, loved it. It's all downhill uh, from here, yeah, man. Yeah, right. No, um, so yeah, I mean, it was like a so a lot of Twilight Zone. You have your high highs and you have your really low lows, and then exactly. you have your then you have your ones that are like ah, you were close, and I wish. This one falls closer to the middle for me in the sense of like, there's some good ideas. I loved the the main two actors in this. I thought they did a really good job. Yeah. There's some creepy imagery. Like I said, the POV shot of, of the girl running back to the car, um, you know, so there, there are things about this to like, and there are things about this that feel twilight zone, you know? And so it's like, um, um, I don't, have you watched black mirror at all? Not, not quite yet. No. Okay. It's just Charlie Brooker wrote, he's the main guy behind a lot of it. But then there's the three series he did for the BBC and then Netflix like got him for the other stuff. And he's written other episodes and they've all been great. But there's times where it's like you can feel the line between the BBC and Netflix. And that's not a bad thing, but you can feel a difference. Okay. And this feels like a little bit of like, oh, you can see there's something a little different about this. I don't know if that's bad or good. I, I think the runtime doesn't serve it very well, but that's just me being an old codger, and I just want to you know stick to my original runtimes for what because I, I sometimes I feel like that if you can do if you can for especially for anthology, whether it is Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, or Are You Afraid of the Dark? Sometimes it's better to get in and get out than to let things linger because the more things linger the more opportunity is to question stuff. I understand that yeah. too. I mean, like it, something like this could have been a little bit more flushed out easily than what they had done for it. But, you know, you're going to have that with a lot of different anthology based storylines. Yeah. It's, it's like, sometimes you're just going to get too much for too much, you know, like yeah. you're not going to get the story that you really need when you put too much information out there. So, there's a Netflix series called Living With Yourself uh, that has Paul Rudd. I don't know if you've watched any of that or not. I have not. Um, this is not a spoiler, but he's kind of a schlub that's like running into like a rut in middle age, and he goes to a spa that promises a new him. Okay. And then he wakes up, and he feels amazing, but then he's accosted by like himself later, and it turns out that the spa makes it a clone of you, but like gets rid of like 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 all the bad out okay, of you. Okay, so they take the imperfections. And, and then they, they make, like, the better you. Okay. But then they go bury, like, you, your previous self, your actual previous self, they just go kill you and bury you out in, somewhere in the woods. Oh, jeez. But, but, <laughs> but Paul Rudd's character, like, lived. And he's like, what's... Because he doesn't know what's going on. He break, breaks out of the ground and goes home. So you have this new and improved Paul Rudd, and you have the, the original, and they see each other, and it's like, how do you deal with this? And it's like, this feels very much in line with this, but it's like the, the show isn't like laugh out loud funny at times, but it's still great to see Paul Rudd play the perfection version of himself and like the schlub. Right. And it's like his hair's different. The way he carries his body's different. Um, at one point, whenever like the, like whenever he leaves the, the, the spot for the first time, he bumps into Tom Brady, like literally Tom Brady. And he's like, 
oh, is this great? He's like, it's amazing. He's like, I've done it six times. Oh, geez. And it's like, <laughs> but it's like Tom, but he says it's so straight faced. But then like, if you think about it, like Tom Brady's won six Super Bowls. So it's like, how many dead Tom Brady's are there out there? Like, <laughs> Only Bill Belichick knows. Yeah. But it's kind of like the same kind of exploration of right. like, what do you do when you come with the imperfection versus what is deemed as perfection? Right. Um, so, and it's, it's taken in some different directions, but so this is a interesting and wonderful idea to come back to every time. Right. So I appreciate that. And if people have not watched living with yourself, I'm not giving anything away because it twists and turns and it, it's, a, it's a, a fun watch. It's like eight episodes or like a half hour each, whatever. Um, so yeah, there's redeeming qualities in this. I, I, I guess when we get to the end of the season, cause I'll ask you to like, give me your top three and bottom three. Cause there's not that many episodes. We'll see where this falls. Okay. You know, so we'll, we'll see, but all right. All right. So then as is custom on the show, we're going to rate the twist and I have no idea where this is going to go. So where is the twist? Is the twist that Alan's a mechanical man or is the twist that, uh, he would be replaced by his own maker at the end. Like, where where do you feel like the bigger twist is? I think the bigger twist is really that Alan is replaced by Walter. Like that feel that okay. felt at the end more a little more unnerving than anything else. That's fair. So with that being said, uh, the twist rating we usually do one to five. Like you know, the the joke wasn't early on was one out of five cigarettes, <laughs> like, you know, one out of five ashtrays. I don't know. Um, so what I have here is that Alan would be a robot. I put a three, which is kind of down the line. It's like that feels very Twilight Zone, right? That he'd be replaced by his maker. I put a four because I didn't see that, and I feel like it's pretty dark, right? So it's not like the most mind blowing twist, but it go it goes someplace I wasn't expecting. So I'm, I'm giving it a four. Yeah, and honestly, I'm going to adhere to that as well. I think that's just like right where it needs to be in the twist because it's not like jaw-dropping, you know, to serve man kind of stuff. Yeah. But it definitely made you go, wow, that was a a mind F right there. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. That's going to be – that's going to do it for our discussion about uh, In His Image. Uh, If you guys want to comment on – your thoughts about the episode. Hopefully you watched it on Hulu, uh, CBS All Access, YouTube, or I don't know, nefarious ways. I don't know. The show's 60 years old. However you watch it, you watch it. Um, Rod what, would be happy either way. I mean, just watch the product. Man. So like, what was it? Over like like in November, they did like the 60th anniversary of the Twilight Zone. They did the Fathom events, which I know you could not attend. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, they did a mini documentary uh, in the theater after they showed six episodes, and they had his daughter uh, uh, talking about like everything. And she was like, my father would not believe that he's still being taken in like, not, not taken seriously, but like still remembered at this point. So the fact that we're still having these conversations and the stuff still challenges us as much as he didn't have direct input, but he created the framework for this. I still think he would appreciate that there's still substance to be had. And that's amazing, you know? So, yeah. and, and it's, so it shows really that this, this, the show has longevity in the sense that people are still talking about it. So here we are. We're in a podcast that we talk specifically about Twilight Zone. And when anybody says something about something being weird, they're like, it's like something out of the Twilight Zone. It's become right. it's become a thing. Right. You know? So, yeah. So I think you'd appreciate that. So uh, you guys can find us on Facebook. It's uh, Strange Highways uh, You know, on Facebook. We have a, a Gmail strange highways podcast you can write us there uh you can you know tell us like if you like the episode if you don't like the episode we'll, we'll certainly write back to you 
You can find us on uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Stitcher, uh, wherever you find your uh, podcast. I know you're listening to us right now, but wherever you find it, if you can rate and review us, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, and sorry about the the hiatus. Um, we're back at full force. <laughs> you don't have to apologize for the hiatus, Terry. Like it's you know, I just the what the only thing that bugs me the most is that people wait six months, and the last thing I talked about was, "Are you afraid of the dark?" That's the way. Like I was just like, no. I, People tend I to really like, like that the show. show. So I, I can't. Um, can, we'll have. I'll have to get in the drinking game of Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is always like, is it a brother and sister? Did they just move to a new town? Right. Do they not like each other, but they'll come together in the end? I don't know. Is it always shitty music? <laughs> but I still have not watched all Are You Afraid of the Dark. I've talked about this previously. My wife bought a bootleg copy of this, like a, a wizard world. And I told her we're going to watch every episode. Cause I need my money's worth. Is this and, decent quality? Yeah. They're not bad. Oh yeah. 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 But well, that's great, man. Yeah. So we've, we're about three seasons out of five of the original run. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Is it? I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> Hey, look, I, I grew up watching the hey, show. Hey, like, there's an episode with Frank Gorshin in it. So you got the, the Riddler in it and you nice. got, uh, there's some, you got, there's a lot of, I know Ryan Gosling. Ra- Ryan Gosling. We talked about him on the yeah. tail station, one hundred one point nine or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the young lady from Firefly, what's her name? Kaylee, the redhead from Firefly. Yeah, whatever. She, she's, uh, she's in an episode. And it's like, uh, was it, um, Oh, um, what's her name from, um, Clarissa explains it all. Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah. Yeah. She's in an episode. There's, yeah. there's some really, what you look at, you're like, I know that person. See, I'm just yeah. glad that there was a product like this for children around no, no. my age. And that's so absolutely think... right. But I'm 41. Watching it now just makes me mad. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. It, but so... but if people want us to talk more about Are You Afraid of the Dark, I'll do it because it's there and I own it and they're short episodes. Yeah, so, we, yeah, we got a lot of stuff on the back burner, folks. And yeah. it's like, you know, we it's always going to be Twilight Zone at the forefront, but we're willing to give you... We want to talk about extra nightmares? content. We'll watch nightmares. Yeah. If we want to, um, I don't know. I know you wanted to talk about tales from the dark side, the movie. We'll do that. I love like, it. Well, we'll talk more tales from the dark side. We only covered one episode so far. There's a lot there. Uh, we never did any tales from the crypt so far. Like there's, there's cool. And thought there, we've not talked about any of the show monsters. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. I'm, I look forward to all this stuff and I would like for people to reach out to us in any sort of way, you know, give us some, give us some feedback of what you thought of this episode and what you'd like to probably hear about on future episodes. We want to make sure that we give you the best product that we possibly can. And I want you to reach out and tell us something. Tell, tell us about yourself. Tell us where you're listening from. If you're in, uh, you know, Russia, come out, reach out to us. I w- we want to know who you or, are. Or, and how- or King of Prussia, yeah. Philadelphia. Like if you're by the mall, if that's you're, fine. If you're digging it, let us know. If you're not digging it, well, you know, we, well, we're going to do our best to make you happy too. So, Perfect. Come right, at yeah. me, bro. Yeah. So find us on Facebook, find us on our, our email address, which is Strange Highways Podcast at Gmail. Next episode is the 30 Fathom Grave. I'm going to read Sterling's intro for this, so bear with me. I am going to butcher it. The ingredients, an American destroyer, the Pacific Ocean, and the ghostly sound of hammering from 30 fathoms below. They add up to a strange tale of the bizarre nightmarish. Mike Kellen and Simon Oakland star in a very different kind of Twilight Zone, which we call the 30 Fathom Grave. So... Next week, 30 Fathom Grave. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope uh, hope uh, if you're a robot, don't throw any old ladies into subways. I mean, unless they talk to you about religion, and then I'm okay with that. You know, 
we can we're all murderers yeah <laughs> that's 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 what that's what walter had to tell us we're all murderers See that road? Love Alley, we used to call it. Great place for sparking the girlies. And how would you know? Well, my love, in sparking circles, I was known as the human electrode. The human electrode? Well, what am I getting into? Uh, <laughs>